0: Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Karumbas and Jim Garrity.
1: And welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Karumbas of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And this reminder that you can find us on all sorts of platforms, including iTunes, and if you listen to us there. And want to leave us a nice review, that would help us out a lot. Thank you very much. And as we've mentioned before, you can get us on those home devices now. Alexa, Google Home, and so forth. All you have to say is play the Three Martini Lunch podcast. So that's pretty cool. All right. On to our good martini. And Jim will explain why this is the good martini in just a moment. But, uh, Jim... They're very excited, and by them I mean the media, that uh, Beto O'Rourke, the former uh, Texas congressman, the failed Texas Senate candidate, although he did help some down-ballot candidates, to say the least, uh, after his soul-searching vagabond trip across the American West has decided he is, in fact, going to run for the Democratic presidential nomination in 2020. CNN thinks this is a really big deal.
2: Breaking campaign news. Beto O'Rourke is in Dramatically reshaping the Democratic race for president, seen as Lela Santiago, live in Iowa, where Beto O'Rourke spent the night.
1: Beto stayed overnight. (laughs) Someone get him a brown paper bag to breathe into. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the video this morning, not really uh, the highly polished produced pieces we've seen from other candidates. It's just uh, O'Rourke and his wife sitting on a couch uh, as he announces that he's going to run. Here's the first uh, 30 seconds of the video. Amy and I are happy to share with you that I'm running to serve you as the next president of the United States of America. This is a defining moment of truth for this country and for every single one of us. The challenges that we face right now, the interconnected crises in our economy, our democracy, and our climate have never been greater, and they will either consume us or they will afford us the greatest opportunity to unleash the genius of the United States of America. And here's how he closes. We are truly now, more than ever, the last great hope of Earth. At this moment of maximum peril and maximum potential, let's show ourselves and those who will succeed us in this great country just who we are and what we can do. So basically, vote for me or we're all totally screwed is the uh, message from Beto O'Rourke. Jim, you think this is good because it's going to be a clarifying moment in American politics?
0: Well, look. It, it, there are two ways this can end, right? The first is that Beto O'Rourke wins the nomination, and then we'll see what happens in the general election. But think about what this says. If Beto, or, sorry, I guess it's Beto. I've, I've been calling you know for two years. I've been calling him Beto, and, and no one's no one's noticed. Um, so if Beto, I guess the idea is you know Beto days are ahead of us. If Beto is is really. We've seen from him, and I, and I make the case in today's Morning Jolt, is the closest we've seen since Obama mania in 2007, 2008. And, and you know, we have a, a fairly seasoned listenership. They're, they're not, uh, you know, too wet behind the ears. They probably remember the mania, the excitement, the messianic uh, uh, tone of the discussion of Obama in 2007, 2008 was nothing like I'd ever seen before before. Um, there's always complaints, ah, you know, this this campaign is a cult of personality or something like that. But you had, you had Mich- uh, not Michelle Obama, you had Oprah at a rally proclaiming at the top of her lungs, he is the one, like it was the Matrix or something. <laughs> I mean, it was just this off the charts, you know, um, and that's probably the close, you know, the, the coverage of him in 2018. And now, this is all spurred by that Vanity Fair cover. The official announcement is out. Um, it, it's very much, it, it feels a lot like that. And if that, is what, if that beats Kamala Harris, if that beats Bernie Sanders, if that beats Elizabeth Warren and Kirsten Gillibrand and Corey Book, if everybody else in the field falls short against this, it means Obama-esque media love wins you the nomination every single time. But that's that, first of all, that will drive the progressive left bonkers. <laughs> that will make them unbelievably angry. And I think it kind of will indicate wow, you know, we, we've been complaining, like we complain about media bias on the right, but I think it's worth saying the media really is the kingmaker in the Democratic Party. Um, Really kind of fascinating argument about. Uh, Um, whether, you know, in light of 2016, whether a ton of media coverage will do that. This will, He'll beta O'Rourke is about to, you know, eat up a ton of media coverage. Um, There was this really sad little tweet from Julian Castro earlier today, Greg, (laughs) listing all the Texas lawmakers who'd endorsed him. And you know what the subtext of that was, Greg? I exist. (laughs) Remember me. Validate me. I'm not fading away. It's as if Thanos snapped his fingers and half the Democratic candidates started fading to dust. Um, just the, you know, this, so this is the, so one part or the second one is that or uh, or O'Rourke runs and does not succeed. And he will be known as a wildly overhyped Senate candidate who fell short against Ted Cruz and then who may be a wildly overhyped presidential candidate who fell short. Um, and we'll all have a good fun laugh about that. So <laughs> I, the way I see it, Greg, this is a win win for, for those of us on the right. As long as you can tolerate insufferable, just unbelievably over the top gushing, drooling coverage. Quick, fetch me the the brown paper bag I need to breathe into uh, <laughs> style coverage we saw this morning from CNN continuing for. I don't know. How long did the groundhog see a shadow? Is it six to eight more weeks of this or six to eight more months?
1: It was supposed to be an early spring. Didn't quite get that one right. It must have been the de Blasio (laughs) groundhog.
0: De Blasio groundhogs. They do tend to have earlier finishes than expected. (laughs) That's
1: right. Uh well, it, it doesn't surprise me that he ran. I don't know about this whole soul searching journey that he had out West, but, uh, you know, he had the hype coming off of the Texas Senate race, even though he lost. And so if he was ever going to do this, uh, he had to do it now. Uh, but uh, kind of like Obama, uh, you know, O'Rourke was in the House for six years. Granted, he was in the minority the whole time. So all you really do in that situation is vote no. Uh, but was he known for anything? Uh, he's known now for wanting to tear down existing border walls, but that was after he left office. So uh, this is pretty much all hype. Is there any thing that he's done politically that people uh, can point to?
0: Now, Greg, this is because he's an outsider. <laughs> now,
1: never mind the fact that he's been in office since
0: 2003. <laughs> he's been in Congress since 2000. I think it was 2012. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to forget. Oh yeah, he was in Congress for a while. Um, sponsored three bills that became law one of them renamed a post office. Um, you know, he was there, uh, but he didn't really do that much. And, you know, so as I point this out, you know, Greg, uh, look On the one hand, I'm kind of laughing about this and saying, Oh my God, there's so much hype over this, but look, so we've got a skinny guy in his mid to late forties. who was in the (laughs) legislature. Didn't really do much bragged about having friendships across the aisle, but never really defied his party. Um, this really is a reboot of Obama mania, isn't it? <laughs> it could very
1: well be. I uh, can't wait till Bernie Sanders finds out his father in law is a billionaire. That's going to be fun. <laughs> That's going to be fun. All right, let's go to our bad martini now. And this is genuinely bad. That doesn't even have a partisan uh, slant to it. Uh, NBC News. Mental health issues have risen significantly over the last decade, and the rise of digital media may be one reason why, according to a national survey released Thursday. The research published by the American Psychological Association found sharp increases in the number of young adults and adolescents who reported experiencing negative psychological symptoms, specifically those born in 1995 or later, known as iGen. it's a term I hadn't heard before. Coincidentally, the greatest spike in symptoms occurred in 2011, around the same time social media burst onto the scene. No corresponding increase, though, was observed in older adults. The lead author on this study is Jean Twenge. Uh, it says, We found a substantial increase in major depression or suicidal thoughts, psychological distress, And more attempted suicides after 2010 versus the mid-2000s, and that increase was by far the largest in adolescents and young adults. It goes on to say in this story, the rate of young adults with suicidal thoughts or other suicide-related outcomes increased a staggering 47% from 2008 to 2017. So, Jim, this is probably not the right time to point out our Twitter handles uh, for folks to contact us, but... uh, this is this is truly disturbing, and it's interesting that it's not affecting more people than just the young. But uh, social media, while it can be convenient, it's great at at, at tracking breaking news and, and getting good analysis from different people that you follow, uh, the ugliness of social media and the compulsion to be part of it is not healthy.
0: You know, Greg, I wrote about uh, the difficulty of being a teenager today in, in today's world and yesterday's jolt, and it's been on my mind a bunch – uh my boys are a little bit older than your girls but reaching the point of at what age is it okay to have a phone uh is it a you know i keep wanting to give my sons like a flip phone so it can't it's not smart no games none of that fun stuff you know you're getting old-fashioned and i what can it do it can make calls if you're (laughs) stuck someplace and you need a ride or you're in trouble it can call me that's about all i really want you to be able to do um and look it's kind of hard to look it's it's not correlation is not necessarily causation but it can't help but get the feeling that having something which brings the good news about social media is that it puts you in contact with lots of people who you would not be in contact with on an ordinary day-to-day basis uh everybody from long lost old friends or old classmates and and people who you you know i wonder whatever happened to that person well thanks to social media you can find these people the downside is, is that lots of people who you probably would never want to interact with can now interact with you. And on any given day, um, you know, you can have you know, people the, the, the advantage of giving people an anonymity and an audience has brought out like their darkest sides and their performance sides. We've all talked about trolls and, and really awful people on the Internet and death threats and, and all things like that. Um, and you kind of wonder, like, if grown-ups, if, 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 you know, relatively mature, well-adjusted adults have a hard time with this. And I'll, I'll you know, I'll be honest. Like I, Again, I'd like to say, ah, you know, trolls and, and people saying, you know, you, you, like some stranger will say, Jim, you stink, or some b- worse variation of that. And it does bug me. I want to find that person. and I want to punch that person, Greg. This is the sort of thing Media Matters will then say, ah, crazy Jim Garrity is violent. That sense of like, you know, Face-to-face, people generally do not say, hey, you're a terrible person and all the nasty things that they say on social media. One, because you they, they see your reaction. I think some people have a little bit of uh, that flickering embers of conscience. They realize they feel bad when they make somebody else feel bad. Or alternatively, they just fear the consequences. There always is that chance somebody will haul off and slug you if you say something nasty about their mother or something like that. We don't, you know, social, the electronic world of social media doesn't have that deterrence against bad behavior that in-person interaction is. So if it's hard, you know, if it can be stressful even for like uh, happy, well-adjusted, normal human beings, imagine what it's like for a teenager when you throw in hormones and all the other pressures. I mean, being a teenager is hard enough as is, and then all of a sudden we put them in this situation. So I'm not surprised to see all these problems having. Now the question is, we can't get this uh, genie back in the bottle. You know, there's not an easy way to say, okay, well, let's undo this. Um, let's just, you know, eliminate Facebook, eliminate Twitter, eliminate Instagram and all these sorts of things. And, um, I think it's probably safe to say we can't just undo that and and, you know, uh, snap our fingers. The question is going to be, how do you get young people to develop healthily and normally in a world with social media? And I'll be honest, Greg, I, I don't even know the first place to start. And my, the, the solution I've gone with is pushing off the, the appearance of social media, uh, as long as possible. But I know that does, that's not going to work forever. So, um. Good luck listeners. You know what? If you have ideas on this, I'm all ears and uh, you know how you can reach me people.
1: Yeah. Twitter at Jim Garrity. Uh... There you go.
0: Or or, yeah, this uh, Jim Garrity NR on Facebook, Uh, Instagram, I mostly use for photography. So remember, if we want to have a further discussion about how social media is inherently harmful, reach out to me on social media.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. All right. At Dateline underscore D.C., just in case you're wondering. Um, <laughs> I was right. Greg, Greg wants to hear this stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's go to our crazy martini now. And the first part of this is crazy in a good way. The second part kind of reverts reverts us back to reality. Uh, big debate, of course, on the left about whether uh, the Democrats really want to go full blown socialism AOC wants to. Bernie wants to. Others say, hey, not so fast. Uh, The AFL-CIO, for example, not a big fan of the Green New Deal. Um, Elizabeth Warren, not exactly the one you would expect to be tapping the brakes on on the push towards socialism. But on the Morning Joe program, MSNBC, talking to Willie Geist, he asked her if she thought capitalism throughout history, or at least for the most part through history, has been a force for good.
2: Yes, I do. I think it also, when, when it doesn't work, it's been a force for bad. But that's been true of every form of government that we can identify. That we've gotten it right sometimes and gotten it wrong sometimes. When you let markets work with rules and with people on the beat to enforce those rules, we can produce a lot of wealth in this country. That's what we've done for a very long time.
1: Well, Jim, I can think of a few different forms of government that don't work well no matter when you try them. But uh, right after she was talking about how markets can be a great force for good, she immediately follows it with this.
2: We have to recognize there are areas where markets don't work. Um, Health care, for example, somebody having a heart attack is not somebody who's going to shop around to six different emergency rooms and say, uh, which one is going to give me the best price? Um there, education, public yeah. education. That's not a place where a market works, but there are places where markets do work. Coffee makers, uh, pet pillows. I'm in. We need robust markets for those. That's how we produce. By the way, that's how we ended up producing the Amazons and Googles, and Facebooks of the world.
1: Pet pillows, yes. Healthcare, no. Jim, uh, this is a woman desperately trying to make sure she doesn't tack. Too far left uh, to lose uh, the the more moderate elements of the party, whatever still is left from that part of the Democrats. But uh, she's twisting herself in a pretzel here, and it's uh, fun to watch. Uh,
0: Greg, do you ever feel like with Elizabeth Warren, you know, considering how I, I wrote in the that in two thousand three her her two thousand three book, um, "The Two Income Trap," had some somewhat conservative messages there, um, some criticisms of the social changes, women women entering the workplace, some criticism for feminists. Um, that, that, you know, that there was a time where, you know, back in her Dr. Phil days and when she was seen as more of just a, a general, you know, consumer advocate um, and hanging out with Lou Dobbs and, and, and things like that, that she was not considered all that progressive or liberal. She uh, then obviously starts running for Senate, becomes very, very actively liberal and very, very, you know, further to the left. Um, but now all of a sudden she's this, this you know, it's like she, she just you know, ran into an invisible wall and is bouncing back. Um, and I, I, I hear this, Greg, and I'm like, oh, you can't win me back, Elizabeth Warren. Just, we, we have too much history. I'm sorry if you can't, you know, because the irony is, like, this is one of the most sane segments I've heard. And I wonder if it was kind of interesting where she realized, look, if I just say, you know, viva la revolucion, <laughs> down with capitalism, hooray for socialism, well, now I'm just going to blend in with the rest of the democratic field, right? The, the way I can stand out now is as the defender of capitalism. And um, what, you know, like her, her assessment is much more accurate than the, you know, capitalism is a, whatever AOC had said the, the past week at, at South by Southwest, that it's an irredeemable system or something like that. Look, you listen to conservatives, a lot of us would say, look, well, first of all, we like capitalism. And when we say that, we mean free market policies. We don't mean corporatism. We don't mean uh, policies that are designed to help out big business. We don't like things like the Amazon deal necessarily. Um, we don't like government playing you know favorites in the marketplace which we would argue is the opposite of capitalism but a lot of people because big businesses like it a lot of people mistake that for capitalism um, and the second thing is is that look you can read my colleagues like Michael Brendan Doherty and maybe a little bit of what Tucker Carlson was getting into earlier this year you know when when creative destruction shuts down the old mill and a lot of people lose their jobs those consequences are real and people get frustrated by it um, Now some of this is you know people who are losing their, Jobs in the buggy whip industry because the automobile is coming along, right? You, this is this is the this is the consequence of innovation. This is the consequence of uh, technological and and you know innovative innovative progress. This is going to happen whether you like it or not. The question is how do you help people through those changes so that they can still pursue their dreams and pursue a happy life? Um, but look, it's it's safe to say that I think most. Uh, most conservatives would have a a nuanced appreciation of capitalism and recognizing that some aspects of capitalism are going to have a harder edge. And and we're not necessarily going to like that. You know, uh, as much as it's important to have free market and be able to pursue our dreams and uh, thriving businesses and things like that, that's not the only thing that makes a community. There's also... Uh, community bonds, faith, uh, uh, spiritual groups, social groups—you com- know all the things that bring you closer to your neighbors, and that aren't related to free market and buying and selling, and you know things that can't be measured by money. Um, and that you know all of this, where she's you know making her—all of this is is all fair game. And if the Democrats sounded more like this, I'd be happy. Um, now, when she says, you know, the, you knew there was a butt coming, you knew there was a <laughs> to be sure. And uh, I I actually would give her even a a little bit of credit on this one to say, yeah, there are, I'd say there are certain circumstances in which free market policies are hard to apply, i.e. you've just been hit by a car, the ambulance comes and they need to get you to a doctor fast, you're not in a circumstance where you can shop around and look for the best deal. Um, But for a variety of other medical procedures, you can have this uh, sort of price competition and have customers shopping around because insurance doesn't cover LASIK. Uh, For example, for a lot of, you know, a lot of circumstances, people have to shop around, pay out of pocket for LASIK. They look around for the best doctor at the best price. And lo and behold, that competition has brought down the price of LASIK procedures. So it can work in certain circumstances. There are certain medical circumstances it won't work. Um, But, you know, in a better, a better, more nuanced debate would acknowledge that and try to promote the lower prices through competition in areas where it can work and recognize that certain areas like emergency care, you're just not going to be able to uh, pull it off.
1: Elizabeth Warren, I'm not sure the niche is going to be big enough for you in this primary field, but uh, at least that completely denigrating capitalism is better than I expected from you. So I, I, I'll take that as a mild win.
0: You're, we should actually have like little inframed, uh, like empty glass cases in which we have like we say it, we'll, we'll just have a little plaque that says a molecule of respect <laughs> or a molecule of credit. All right. You know what? You weren't as bad as we expected, Elizabeth Warren. Here is your molecule of credit.
1: <laughs> Excellent like one one thousandth of 24th of a molecule very good metaphor there you go (laughs) jim see you tomorrow see you tomorrow greg jim garrity of national review i'm greg Corumbus of radio america thanks for being with us today and be sure to tune in again on friday for the next three martini lunch